John chapter 4. We continuing here this journey through John's Gospel account and uh, looking specifically this morning at believing the Word of Christ. Uh, And just consider for a moment, uh, John's whole Gospel is written so that we would believe, right? That's that's the, the, the drum that continually is being beaten for us, that we would believe the Word of Christ. And we have to think, what is the nature of faith? What is the true nature of faith? What does it mean to really believe in Jesus? John writes this gospel to, to validate believing in Jesus, to confirm what it means to believe in Jesus, to give evidence of believing in Jesus. John twenty thirty one, which we come to week in, week out, these are written so that you may believe. John's saying, my account is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing... You may have life in His name. And so this miracle that we're going to see this morning where Jesus heals this nobleman's son, the second of the miracles recorded in John's Gospel account, illustrates the nature and the power of Jesus who is the object of our faith. And so let's read. We'll start We'll start in verse 43 of chapter 4 and we'll read through the end of the chapter. John chapter 4 and verse 43. After the two days He departed for Galilee... For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast. For they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Now listen to these words in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the man, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him, which is about 1 p.m. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. So believing the word of Christ. We're, We're catching this story, obviously, in the back end of a narrative that we finished last week where Jesus encounters the woman at the well and walks through uh, her conversion and this outpouring of Samaritans to to come to faith in Christ, this idea of believing from verse 39 and then verse 41. And then there's this strange insertion of detail that John includes here, verses 43, 44, and 45, that gives some background for the the reason why Jesus is going into Galilee. And so the first truth that we see in in these first three verses is that often, this is not always the case. But often, those most likely to receive Jesus actually reject Jesus. And those most likely to reject Jesus actually receive Jesus. So here's what we mean. Verse 43. 
after two days. So we know that he stayed with the Samaritans for two days. They, they invited him, remember, to come and stay with them, and they believed on the words of Jesus. So after two days, he departs for Galilee. He leaves the Samaritans, he leaves the town of Sychar, and goes back toward Galilee. And then John includes this statement here in verse 44, for he himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So Jesus is going back home. This is, this is no, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but Bethlehem was not home for him. Galilee was home for him. Specifically, Nazareth was home for him. Remember the words from chapter 1, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? So this is Jesus' home. And so Jesus is going back home. It's about a 50-mile journey from where he was in Samaria to Galilee. And so you would think Jesus coming home like, they would have banners, right? Parades. They would have all these things, like this big welcoming party coming for him. But John includes a, a, a detail for us that helps us to understand G, the reception that Jesus receives when he goes home, but also kind of why Jesus goes home. Verse 44, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. What a strange, what a strange statement. What a strange statement here. Now, if we think, why, why does John include this here? And if we think, this is, this is all one story here in chapter 4 specifically. So look at the beginning of chapter 4, and then we'll bounce into our text for today. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. It helps us to understand why John includes this detail about why Jesus goes to Galilee. Because like, just think of, thinking about this practically, the outpouring is in Samaria. So what do you do? You push and you go and you harvest and harvest. Jesus told them, hey, the harvest is here. And you would think, man, let's just camp out here until the harvest is complete and then we'll go. But Jesus spent a limited amount of time there in Samaria. And then he goes back home to Galilee, chapter 4 and verse 1. Now, when Jesus had learned the Pharisees that the Pharisees heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's leaving Judea, going to Galilee. The middle point was the woman at the well, right, in Samaria. So he has a divine appointment in Samaria with the woman at the well. He's on his way to Galilee, and he's on his way to Galilee because he's not going to get caught up in this popularity cycle that's happening because his disciples are baptizing more people than John's disciples. He's not going to draw undue attention on himself and in essence, expedite the divine orchestrated plan of God for his ultimate death, right? And so then we get to verse 44, after the event with the woman at the well, and we read this statement, for Jesus had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. The word for there in verse 44 tells us why Jesus left Judea and went to Galilee. Because he actually has no honor in his hometown. He goes back to Galilee, so he's not going to get caught up in this whirlwind of popularity, and if you think about it, the way we started the book of John, this verse in verse 44 should not shock us. We read in verse chapter 1, verse 11, he came to his own, and his own what? Did not receive him. Right? So get the picture here. He's going from Judea to Galilee. In the middle, you have the Samaritans. So he's going from a Jewish context into a cultic, not Jewish context, right? Outcast context. And then he's now going toward the Jewish context in Galilee, knowing that the people there, verse 45, are not going to truly receive him. So look at the reception that he gets in verse 45. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. And that sounds good, right? That sounds good until we get to the words that Jesus speaks to this man who's going to run up to him and ask him to heal his son. Verse 45 gives us an indication that it is possible to believe, yet not believe. 
It is possible to welcome Jesus and yet not welcome Jesus. And so these Galileans are welcoming Jesus based on what he did, right? He, he performed this first sign at Cana and Galilee, the water turning into wine at the wedding, and now Jesus is coming back, and it's really kind of an attraction for them. Oh, maybe he's going to put on another show for us. They're welcoming Jesus based on what he's done, not on who he is. We read that in chapter 2 and verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to bear witness about men, for he himself knew what was in man. So there's this, there's this idea of believing, yet not believing. So there's a, there's, a, there's a way in which you can, air quotes here, believe on Jesus, but not believe on Jesus in a sense in which you actually have true, redeeming, saving faith that regenerates the person's heart, mind, and soul. And so in contrast, so what's going to happen here in this story, in contrast to the Galileans believing yet not believing, John is going to use the story of the official son to, to illustrate what it looks like to really believe. So Jesus is going back home. A prophet has no honor in his own hometown. He's going to go back home, and they're going to say, oh, we're glad you're back, but there's not going to be a sense in which they're going to receive him as the Savior of the world. But then there's this guy who's going to come to him in desperation. And in telling the story of this guy, John is going to help us to see what it means to truly believe. Before we get into the specific story here, note the progression of events that have happened over the past few weeks as we've studied John's Gospel account. In chapter 3, we're introduced to this man named Nicodemus, a respected influential teacher of the law, right? This guy would have had all the pedigree that the Jewish faith had to offer. And at the end of the story, we're kind of left with, I don't know. Did he believe or not? Right? Because the last question that we hear from Nicodemus is, how can these things be? And then Jesus goes into this discourse of what it means to believe on him and why he actually came and what happens to those who don't believe, what happens to those who do believe. We never hear anything again from Nicodemus. The next story that we have, next encounter that Jesus has with a particular person is the woman at the well. So we've gone from a respected Jew to a rejected Samaritan. And the, the reality of the woman at the well story is like in the moment, this woman believed and not just her, but a whole community of people believed. So much so that they said, hey, we need you to stay with us. We need you, a Jew, to spend time with us, the outcast. And so Jesus would have, we would have considered Jesus' work in, in Samaria and Sychar specifically successful. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Verse 41, many more believed because of his word. And so they're believing on Jesus. So we have Nicodemus, where we're just kind of like, I'm not sure if he believed or not. Then we have the Samaritan woman and the Samaritans, where it's very clear that they actually believed on Jesus because of his word. Not just because of signs. Not just because of what he did, but because of who he was. And so the success happened among those who were least likely, the Samaritans, the outcasts. But the rejection happens amongst those, amongst those who are most likely. We would think, like, you have all the Old Testament. You, you, you know everything. You should see the Messiah, and you should hear the Messiah, and you should receive him. Nicodemus, we're not sure. The woman at the well, we're certainly sure that she did believe and others believe. And then we're introduced to this official in our story for this morning who is a prominent Gentile. Like, there's no Jewish heritage to this brother. He's a Gentile, and he's another one that we would consider to be the least likely to believe in Jesus. 
And so what John is doing, he's recording the work of Jesus progressively moving away from the expected foundation of Judaism and it's pointing to the fact that those expected to believe on Jesus actually do not believe, while those we don't expect to believe on Jesus actually do believe. What do we call this? We call this grace. We call this grace. Like the, the Samaritans and this official, this Gentile official, like in terms of religion, they have everything stacked against them. But they are the ones that Jesus goes to and leads them to believing. So the most likely reject Jesus, the least likely receive Jesus often. Secondly, we see that many people seek signs instead of the Savior. Many people seek signs instead of the Savior. And so verse 46, He came again to Canaan and Galilee where He made the water wine. At Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So introduced to this fellow, Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So we know the context is, is near Cana and Galilee, and this was where Jesus had performed this first sign of changing the water into wine. And so this guy comes to see Jesus, and, and Jesus addresses this guy specifically, but he addresses him in a unique manner in verse 48. You see, so you kind of get the picture. Jesus is on his journey, and this guy interrupts the journey, right? And says, you've got to come with me to Capernaum because my son is ill. He's He's going to die if you don't do something. So you, you get the desperation in the guy's life. And this is a 15-mile journey, so it's not just like, hey, I'm two blocks over. This, this is, this is going to take a commitment. This is going to require some time on your part. But I need you to come. And so there's desperation in this guy. But then Jesus responds to this guy oddly in verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. But the language there is addressed not just to the man who shows up on the scene. The language here is addressed to the Galileans. Because the you there, both times in verse 48, is plural. And so he's not just talking to this official. He's talking to the official, but he's speaking to everyone listening. Right? He's, he's coming into a place where he has kind of a little bit of popularity because he performed a miracle here, the water and the wine. Wait, Jesus is here? Let me go see what he's going to do. And so there's kind of this following that develops around Jesus. And in this following, Jesus calls this guy out, but specifically the Galileans out, because they were following Jesus because they just want another show. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Which most people seek signs instead of the Savior. And so this official's plea here in verse 47 is, Hey, come heal my son. Come heal my son. And Literally, the word there means he begged him repeatedly. Like, he comes, and this guy was a prominent fellow. Like, this, this guy had authority of the Roman government. And he comes to this Jewish guy who all he knows is he can do miracles. He can turn water into wine, and there are these other signs that we don't know about that we, that we read that note in chapter 2 regarding. And he comes and begs repeatedly to Jesus one question. Heal my son. Heal my son. Heal my son. And Jesus tells them, unless you see a sign, you're not going to believe. And this is a constant, this is going to develop as a common theme in the life and ministry of Jesus. So flip over to chapter 6 and you'll see the same, the same reality. Chapter 6 and verse 2, familiar story, we'll get to it in a few weeks, Lord willing, with regard to the feeding of the 5,000. So chapter 6 and verse 2, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, they're people just like we're people. 
somebody comes in our community, healing sick people, like doing kind of crazy miracle things, what are we going to do? I want to go watch. I want to go see. Oh, I've got this ailment. I wonder if he can help me. I've got this issue. I wonder if he can help us. And so people are following Jesus. Go on down to verse 26. Chapter 6, verse 26. So they were looking for Jesus. He disappeared. And now he, he is there with them again. And he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, because you, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're only seeking me for that which you can get from me. Namely, you're looking for another meal from me. Move on down to verse 30. So they said to him, but Jesus is telling him, you have to believe in the one who he sent. Verse 30, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? He just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And now they're saying, hey, you've got to prove yourself to us. Why? Because what are they seeking? They're seeking the sign instead of the Savior. And so Jesus is not just some magician that, that is to be invoked to help out in times of need. He's not just like some kind of cosmic spiritual bailout for us. And isn't that oftentimes how we treat Jesus? Like we go along about everyday life, just rolling through day after day after day, and Jesus is like the lifeline that we pull whenever we get in a bind. And so we can seek signs or we can seek the Savior. We can seek the works of God or we can believe on the Word of God, the power of God, or the person of God. And so verse 47, back to chapter 4 and verse 47 just like we talked about last week, we are the woman at the well. We are the Gentile official. We are the Gentile official who comes to Jesus in desperation, in need, and often coming to Jesus for our own benefit, but Jesus will have none of it. So we're not, we're not saying things like, hey, my son is sick. He's at the point of death. But we're saying things like, Lord, I've made a mess of my life, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd fix it. As if he's like some kind of spiritual band-aid, and everything goes away. But there's this reality that's coming in this story that Jesus is go- as his words develop in the story. Jesus will not be exploited by man. Jesus will never be exploited by man. And so that's why he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so many people are seeking after the signs instead of the Savior. And just for clarification, as we think about the church in general, church at large, we know Jesus is going to heal this guy's son. Right? But the signs are never the goal. The Savior is the goal. Signs never save anyone. Only the Gospel saves. The Gospel is necessary for salvation. So most, those most likely reject Jesus often the least likely receive Jesus. Secondly, many people seek signs instead of the Savior. And then number three, we must believe in the Word of Christ. We must believe in the Word of Christ. Verse 49, The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Sir, come down before my child dies. Notice that the guy makes no argument toward Jesus. There's no defense toward Jesus' statement of verse 48. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The guy doesn't say, no, 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 that's not, that's not, that's not what I'm looking for. No, I, I think you can help me and heal my son. No, the, the guy just says, sir, come down before my child dies. My little boy, literally, it's little boy. Die. So you get the desperation in this man's tone. And then Jesus responds to him in verse 50, uniquely just saying, Go, your son will live. Go, your son will live. Now, this is not a rebuke, because Jesus' reply here 
settled this man's desperation and he actually believed. So when you think in the story, in the narrative, Jesus' tone to this guy would have been very encouraging and comforting to the sense of him saying something along the lines of, Go, your son will live. In a reassuring tone because the immediate response of this guy is, verse 50, second half, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. The conversation was over because the ultimate authority had spoken. And so we see two things about the, about the reality, the nature of true faith that happens just in verse 50 here. First, we see that true faith trusts the promise of Christ. True faith trusts the promise of Christ. Jesus says in verse 50 to the man, your son will live. The man had just told Jesus that his son was dying in verse 49. Jesus declares the total opposite. No, your son will live. You see it, verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Another one of John's contrasts is light, dark, life, and death right here in this story. Your son will live. And so the man, the man came to Jesus asking for a work, but Jesus simply issues a word to the man. And the man believed that word to be true. He trusted the promise of Christ. Verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by what? Hearing. And not just hearing anything, but by hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. True faith trusts the promise of Christ. A sign, a miracle, an event, a circumstance in life is never sufficient for someone to come to faith in Jesus. Hearing the gospel is necessary. Hearing the word of Christ is necessary. Word is required. And by faith, what do we do? We believe in the word. True faith trusts the promise of Christ. Also in verse 50, we see that true faith obeys the command of Christ. So we have true faith, true faith trusts the promise of Christ, believe. True faith obeys the command of Christ, action. There is action required to faith. This is not just some ambiguous reality that we just mentally assent toward. But true faith actually results in action. True faith obeys the command of Christ. Look at what Jesus told the guy. Go, your son will live. The first word that Jesus tells the guy is go. Go. It's an imperative. There's a big exclamation point here in the language of the New Testament. And this word go to this man is intended to be obeyed by this man. And so what is this man's response? What is it? Well, wait, how, how can I know for sure that what you said is true? Like, wait, you're not going to come with me? Because remember the man came and said, hey, I need you to come with me 15, 16 miles down the road out of your way to heal my son. Right? That's how the story started. And Jesus just simply says, go, your son will live. And verse 50, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He obeyed the command of Christ. The man went on his way. True faith is demonstrated by simple obedience. So the man is no longer like pulling at Jesus' robe saying, hey, don't worry about that. You've, I have a more pressing matter. You have to come with me. But the man is simply going on his way based on the word of Christ. What do we call this? We call this obedience. This is simple obedience. Faith without obedience is not true faith. Faith without obedience is not true faith. James 2.17, faith by itself, is, if it does not have works, is what? Dead. 
There has to be action in harmony with this faith. And so why does this guy go on his way? Why? It's, it's as if, I mean, it's as if the conversation just stops, right? Jesus says, go, your son will live. And the guy just kind of seems to nod an affirmation and turn and head back home. Why does this guy go? He goes because, of verse 50, he believed the word that Jesus had spoken. He believed the word that Jesus had spoken, and he went on his way. And so, true faith trusts the promise of Christ, and true faith obeys the command of Christ. Both of these are realities of true faith. We do not divorce one from the other. Faith is not just, oh, I believe. Faith is also, I believe and I obey. Right? There's, there's a, a sense in which for the Christian, for the person who professes to be a redeemed son or daughter of the king, obedience is a common thread through that person's life. Because, why? They believe. That's what happens with this man. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So faith without obedience is what? Not faith. It's not faith at all. So you cannot, you cannot say that you believe on the Lord Jesus and not obey the Lord Jesus. It can't happen. It, how do you know, Richard? Read the Bible. It's all over the place. And it's right there in chapter 4 and verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And there's another note that we have to remember here. This is incredibly simple. This is not complex. The man doesn't say, hey, can you tell me how you're going to do this? Can you give me a plan for how this is going to work out? The man just takes Jesus at his word, expressing faith in the one who has spoken this word, and turns and goes back home. Believing that the word that was spoken to him was true. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So, many reject Jesus, the least likely receive Jesus, People often seek signs instead of the Savior. We must believe in the Word of Christ. And then number four, the power of Jesus reveals the person of Jesus. The power of Jesus reveals the person of Jesus. So verse 51, as he was going down, so he was near the sea, and so he's going down in elevation, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at around 1 p.m., the fever left him. So, just think about this moment. Right? This guy has a 15, 16 mile journey to get back to where, he, where his son is. You think he ever just pondered the question, I wonder if he's really going to be okay. I mean, this, this dude was a man just like we are. If I am this official, I'm thinking the whole time, you know, I believe that guy. But I wonder. It's just the nature of man, the way we think, the way we believe. And on his way, you, you get the idea that meeting him mid-journey, not as he's showing up, but meeting him mid-journey are some people who work for him. And they say to him, hey, your son is getting better. And for the servants, I mean, they would have known that, he, that this official went to get this Jesus person, right? The one who turned the water into wine, the one who could do signs and wonders and miracles. But he's showing up without the Jesus person. And they tell him, hey, your son is recovering. And the guy stops and says, when? 
When did that start? It was, it was around the seventh hour the fever, the fever left him. And the guy, the father, verse 53, the, the father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So the moment Jesus spoke these words to the man, the boy gets better. And the power of Jesus is revealing to this man and ultimately to his family, as we'll continue to see in just a second, the person of Jesus. So he's, we're, we're seeing a few things about Jesus in this spoken word and the power of Jesus revealing the person of Jesus. One, we see that Jesus is full of grace. Jesus is full of grace. He, he healed this man's son in spite of the mild rebuke that he issued in verse 48. Look, let's all be signs, signs and wonders. None of y'all are going to believe. Speaking to the man, but also to the Galileans. But he heals this man and heals the man without fulfilling the man's request. Jesus didn't know this man. This man comes up. He's a Gentile with some type of influence, some type of power. He's serving Herod Antipas. And the man, what does he deserve from Jesus? The man deserves wrath from Jesus. But what does Jesus give to this man? Jesus gives to this man grace by saying, Go, your son will live. The church, what, what do we deserve from Jesus? Wrath. What is justly ours? Wrath. But what does God give to us instead? Through Jesus. He gives us grace. He gives us grace. And so Jesus is full of grace. Also, Jesus is full of power. Note how Jesus heals the boy. There's no touch involved. There's no seeing involved. There's 15 miles between. And Jesus says, your son will live. He heals the boy with a word, not with a touch. He heals the boy from a distance, not with his presence. And he heals the boy immediately. Yesterday around 1 o'clock, the fever left him, is what his servants tell the official. And the boy was healed the moment when Jesus said, go, your son will live. Why, why does Jesus work this way in this event? Because he's, for this man specifically and his household in verse 53, he himself believed and all his household, he's showing that the power of Jesus simply reveals the person of Jesus. The work of God leads us to receive and understand and embrace and, yes, believe the Word of God. And so what is the result, big picture, of this event? Verse 53. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. He himself believed in all his household. So the result of the event is that the man believes and his family and his servants and anyone associated with him as a person of influence. They all believe on the basis of what Christ has done and ultimately on the basis of what Christ had spoken. Well, wait, what did he say? He said, Go, your son will live. But what else? He said, go, your son will live. What else did he say? Go, your son will live. So what did you do? I left. Believing his words were true. And then we read this statement in verse 53 that this is not just believing, not believing. This is believing, truly believing. And he himself believed in all his household. And as the New Testament develops, we see this becoming kind of a recurring theme with people who are coming to faith in Christ and more people coming to faith in Christ. And so the power of Jesus reveals the person of Jesus. Now, let's 
consider for just a moment the context of this event. The context of this event is the unbelieving Galilean. Remember, like he goes, he's, he's heading toward, he's heading back home. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. Right? So we know that they like the signs, but they aren't really all that interested in the Savior. They want the show, but they aren't really interested in the commitment that comes along with being a true follower of this person. And so the story is not just for the man's benefit or for the son's benefit or even for this family's benefit, verse 53. The Jewish Galileans, those who should have been close to Jesus, actually do what? They're missing Jesus. And this Gentile official, which would have been despised by a Jew, is the one who becomes the beneficiary of the gospel of the grace of God. And so, in the context of the unbelieving Galileans, we see that that they have obstacles that are very similar to ours, especially in our religious-saturated Western church culture that we have here in the South. Isn't it true that we can be in danger, and many people are in danger, maybe some of you are in danger, of having just enough of Jesus to essentially be inoculated? It's like there's this Jesus vaccination that goes around. And so there's a, there's a form of Jesus that is not the true essence of Jesus. And so you have people who sit in church buildings and profess to be Christians constantly who are believing not believing. They're Galileans, to use the illustration in our story. They like all that Jesus has to offer, but far be it from Him to demand anything for my life or require me to do something different or become someone different. And in essence, several of us, I've had this conversation with several folks in here, it's incredibly more difficult to share the gospel with someone who's been around church and is lost than someone who has no idea about Christianity and the faith. It's easier some of you say, Richard, you have lost your mind. It's easier to share the gospel with a Muslim than it is to share the gospel with a Christianized, religious e Southern person. Because they've got just an, they're Galilean. They've got just enough of Jesus for them to think, oh he's a good person and I think He's going to take care of my eternity, but for my life here and now, I'm going to run this thing. What do we call that? We call that believing, not believing. That is believing, not believing. And so we, we have some common issues that, that we have in the church culture that this text this morning actually speaks loudly into. We have the issue of pride, where we think that Christianity and the advance of the kingdom maybe hangs on us. So we end up using Jesus to advance our own agenda. We, use, we try to use Jesus to feed our own ego. We see that. We're going to see that over and over again with the disciples. They're going to try to use Jesus to advance their own agenda. Or we have the issue of privilege where maybe we think that America is the hope of the world or even the American church is the hope of the world. Clarification. The global church in some hard places is growing exponentially faster than the American church. And God is doing fantastic work through the global church. Or there's this issue, and this is probably the more prevalent issue, and maybe some of you actually have this problem, the issue of familiarity, where in essence we become Galileans. We become familiar enough with Jesus that He loses His majesty, He loses His power, His wonder in our minds. I mean, we all have Bibles. We all listen to sermons. We all go to church. 
We can do all that and be Galileans. Truly giving no honor to Jesus. Only following Jesus in some form out of what benefits can come to us. Which totally turns the true essence of Christianity on its head. We hold to, in large part, a very man-centered way of thinking about Christianity. Where all of this is for us. Your being saved is good for you, but ultimately it's for God. If you are saved, do you get benefits from being saved? Well, yeah, you better believe it. But the ultimate goal of your salvation is not your good. The ultimate goal of your salvation is God's glory. And to think of it differently is a form of believing, yet not believing. And so what do we do? We return back to the true essence of faith. Verse 50. This response of this fellow, the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. You notice we never hear the name of this man? We never hear the name of the Samaritan woman at the well? We don't know specifically who they are. Because they're not the big people in the story. Jesus is the big people, is the big person in the story. And so we return back to the true essence of faith. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And so what do we do? We trust the promises of Christ and we obey the commands of Christ. Simple, basic Christianity. And we are incredibly good at making the simple complex. Aren't we? You may not be. You may be like, Richard, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, just humor me for a minute. We take that which is as simple as the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And we turn it into systems and processes and strategies. And the Bible just comes and just preaches the gospel to us over again and reminds us that, no, the true essence of salvation is believing on the word of Christ. Believing in such a way that it has impact on the way you do life every day. Not just for those spiritual compartments that you set up in your life, those things related to church and people with church, and then these other areas that we tend to run on our own. But true faith impacts all areas of life. And the man believes, he himself believed in all his household. And so true faith means I'm trusting the promises of Christ, but I'm also obeying the commands of Christ such that the gospel impacts how I lead a church. The gospel impacts how I lead my family. The gospel impacts how I run my business. The gospel impacts how I go to school. The gospel impacts how I serve as a member in the community. The gospel impacts life. And so there's not this delineation in life for us. Because as soon as we start compartmentalizing the gospel to certain areas of life, we've become guilty of believing yet not believing. And the words of John chapter 4, verse 50 have to hammer into our minds by the Holy Spirit. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. So let me ask you, do you truly trust the promises of Christ? Do you truly? Who is Jesus? It's the greatest question you can answer. Who is Jesus? Good person? Can He do good things for your life? Great benefits that He brings to your life? Secures heaven? All those good things for you? Or is He actually the Savior King of the world? 
who when you believe in Him, He runs the shot. He calls the shot. He now runs your life. This, this, this official was a man of influence. Was a man who understood ordering people around. And he caught it whenever Jesus gave him an order. He understood higher authority. The greatest person just said, go, your son will live. And this man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And so as we sing over the next couple minutes, just consider the fact. One, do you believe at all? Are you believing in an idea of Jesus that is not biblical? And if you are, the good news is you just repent and believe now. Repent and believe today. Trust in Christ. Brother or sister, maybe it's easier for you to say, I trust in the promises of Christ, but the whole obeying the commands of Christ is not all that big on. What do you do? Repent. Repent. And just again say, Lord, here's my life. It's yours. You saved me. I'm yours. You reign supreme over my life. Everything I have, everything I own, everything I hope to own, hope to do, dreams, aspirations, they are all yours. You fill in the blanks. And trust He's going to do it for His glory. And if He's doing it for His glory, well then, goodness gracious, it's for your good. It's for your good. And so let's pray and then we'll sing. Father in heaven, thank you for the grace that is ours in Jesus. And for the truth that or the gospel is just as realistic for us today, Lord, as it was when Jesus encountered this man. Thank you for the authority that is in Jesus who has the ability to say words like, Go, your son will live. And may our response be similar to this man that we would believe and go on our way trusting the promises of Christ and obeying the commands of Christ. Use us for your glory. For your name's sake. We pray it in Jesus' good name. Amen.